Um, my new poetry collection, Sisters in Spitfires, celebrates the lives and flights of the 164 women who flew with the air transport auxiliary during the Second World War. The ATA was a civilian organisation set up to ferry all types of planes from factories and maintenance units to frontline squadrons. Women came from over 25 countries with a chance to fly anything to anywhere, from Tiger Moths to Wellingtons and Spitfires. Pauline Gower was the driving force behind the women's section, set up on New Year's Day 1940. In July 1941, women were cleared to fly operational aircraft, including Spitfires and Hurricanes, and twin engines such as Mosquitoes and Wellingtons. But during my research, it was the women's stories that really caught my attention, their mid-air dramas and their ability to fly several types of plane in any one day, most of them flying throughout the war without much of a break. They had no radio or instruments, or at the mercy of the British weather and enemy aircraft. But the women did add some glamour to the endless flying hours, particularly Dorothy Fury, one of the first American women hired by the ATA. So my first poem, A Touch of Silk. I packed my parachute, I packed my evening gown. What more did I need? My gone with the wind dress, I called it. Essential for a girl dashing about in a plane. We never knew when glamour might beckon. A dinner, a dance, so I packed it just in case. Patting down the soft red velvet, cushioned against the tough parachute straps of silk and security. Dorothy Fury, as I said, was one of the first American women hired by the ATA. Flying for her was an interesting interlude. She went on to breed racehorses and take up scuba diving at the age of 77. With women flying for the first time during the press naturally had a field day. Women in planes, in RAF planes, and so some of the headlines were, were fantastic material for poetry and slipped into some of the poems. And this poem celebrates one pilot from Argentina who caught up, found herself on the cover of Picture Post. The cover girl. Maureen Dunlop was caught on the cover of picture post, stepping fresh from a plane. A breeze ruffling her curls, she graced every breakfast table, set many hearts aflame. It was the perfect press moment, unscripted, and they knew it. She was forever that girl from the plane, one hand to her hair, cap and goggles in the other, an image of carefree glamour. She told the photographers she was busy, had a barracuda to put away, but then smoothed her hair, smiled as the sun flared her youth, a golden bracelet, and there she was, cover girl. This, um, this poem, again, was from a, caught from a, a, a headline in one of the papers. Some slight confusion. Their hands may be small and their voices soft, yet the 2588 women pilots might easily be men, declared the evening news in February 1941. They're all in it together. Same uniform, same hours, same regulations, but first less pay. Theirs is a jobber, job in which an ounce of grit outweighs a ton of glamour. Yet Rosemary Reese, one of the fated first eight, saw it as an appalling burden of responsibility flying anything to anywhere alongside the men, with huge pressure, pressure from press and public. 
They had to show what they were made of. Every flight, every day, nothing less would do. Just another little um, anecdote um, in Tiger Moth Scramble. The press had an airfield day, arriving at Hatfield to capture those ace women pilots, taking out jobs, according to some men. They're getting good money from this, eight pounds a week, I'm told, one RAF pilot rumbled to the Daily Express. And why not? The first eight were photographed in full flying gear, panting and laughing as the press didn't catch them properly the first time. So they had to run to their tiger moths again in brand new flying suits with fur-lined boots with 30-pound parachutes on their shoulders. Maybe it was their field day. Many accounts of um, the ground crew standing looking for the pilots when a Spitfire or something larger was delivered, and um, some slight confusion rising from that, and which led to three poems in the book. This is for First Officer Mary Gonzalez, who at 98 still lives on the Isle of Wight. She ran Sandown Airport for 20 years after the war. I am the pilot. One Wellington bomber safely delivered, the ground crew, the ground crew stood waiting for the pilot. Mary Wilkins Ellis, petite but more than capable of flying military aircraft at more than 300 knots, had delivered it solo. In combat, the RAF used a crew of six with navigator and engineer. She climbed through the hatch with her parachute, surprised by their incredulous looks, and by the one who climbed back in to double check. I am the pilot, she said. Here's your plane. And again, Joan Hughes, MBA, flew for almost 50 years. That magnificent woman, once doubled as Lady Penelope, flying a tiger moth under a motorway bridge, landing and caught on seven separate charges. She also flew a Demoiselle replica, starring in a film about magnificent men, with many flying hours under her wartime belt. Joan had been Britain's youngest pilot at 17, logging 600 hours by 22, ferrying 75 bombers for the ATA. She once delivered a Halifax to Hamble. Dumping a parachute outside the control room, she went to hand in her chips. The duty pilot moved his gum from cheek to cheek and asked for the pilot to sign in. I am the pilot, said Joan. Here's your plane. This poem was a response from a male pilot who I was privileged to meet last year. Um, and he told me many memories of the war, but also about his first Spitfire uh, flight and how it was delivered. And the title comes from a line he kept using in our conversation. One fine day. I've been told my first spit was waiting at the airfield. It was a day we all looked forward to amid the sorties, the bombs, the long days and the darkest of nights. So one fine day I went to collect it, watched as it taxied towards me, sun gilding its wings, catching it just so. There I was, my first spit, and out stepped the pilot. But would you believe, just a slip of a girl? There I was, put firmly in my place, but glad she'd ferried it my way, glad to sip it, slip into her seat, to climb and dive like a bird set free on that vivid, virgin, Light. 
And that was for Ralph, who I was lucky enough to have met. And, um, he died earlier this year at age 96. This particular poem, Brooklyn Swing, was written at um, the 1940s event last year, a very hot day, up on the balcony, when I just started researching some of the women and realised that um, a couple of the women, particularly Diana Bonato Walker, actually trained here. Um, six hours to her, belt, uh, to her name, she went up solo after six hours and uh, also flew here a lot before the war. So this poem is Brooklyn's Swing. They're in the mood, swirling the dance floor, hands skimming hips, scarlet lipstick glossy, all eyelided nylon and vintage chic. They're hovering at the stalls, clustering rails, rummaging period pieces, yellowing maps offering up roads still to travel. From the clubhouse balcony, classic cars slip into easy mono as Diana walks by, lettuce strides the other way, waiting for the sky. Spring sunlight dances back into Brooklyn's, crowds lack nostalgia, the glitz and glamour of bygone days, cheering races, applauding flights. And just a little um, sort of legacy from Diana here. She, she wrote about her first seller at Brooklyn's. She wrote a fantastic book called Spreading My Wings. Um, she was a real character read read about her um, but she also wrote um, about her first solo which stayed with her she thinks then she had a guardian angel which um, saved her from many a, a mid-air drama and many a ground floor drama too so first solo for Brooklyn's 1938 as I was taxiing out to try to keep the tiger in the sky a little man with wave and leer came running to the cockpit side he put his claws upon the wing, impelling me to turn to him, and said above the engine's din, don't fly, don't fly amiss, look and see what aviation has done to me. I scanned his scarred and broken face, and horror shuddered in my mind. What flying now could do to me, and I would end up the same as he. Don't spoil your beauty, dear lady, I'm only meaning to be kind. It didn't stop her because she flew on for many years after the war and flew many types of planes and actually broke the sound barrier. The book is in um, five sections um, and the final section, Leaving Legacies, celebrates the lives of some of the women, one in ten, who lost their lives in the ATA. One in ten overall, actually, that's men and women. And 75 years ago, Amy Johnson disappeared over the Kent coast on an ATA mission. And I believe there's some information about Amy over there. Um, and this poem considers those left behind. On such a day, our hearts sank when we guessed the worst, or dared to let ourselves imagine. On such a day, we stayed on the ground, not wishing to tempt fate. On such a day, we looked upwards, almost at the same minute, the same hour. We couldn't help ourselves, automatically scanning for any signs of life. On such a day, we stretched aching muscles, pinching our flesh raw, while waiting for news that never fully surfaced. We knew in our hearts, she was gone. Just two more from Leaving Legacies. Um, 
This poem reflects on the very matter-of-fact nature of many of the jobs in war, and this was um, the ground crew, and particularly operations officer Alison King, who met and worked with so many of the women. Moving up the blackboard. The call came, the one we all dreaded, when her voice would change, her eyes take on that strained, faraway look. She'd carefully cover the mouthpiece, nod over in my direction, I'd lower my eyes, try to stop my stomach falling. Another one down. Details as yet unknown. Other lives and histories would be forever changed at their loss. That we knew. But for now, we had to log the details, find a way to move on through the war, to keep doing our bit up in the skies. Even before she'd replaced the receiver, I'd wiped the blackboard, filled in any gaps. It was good for morale. It had to be done. And finally, the ATA flag was lowered for the last time at White Waltham, November the 30th, 1945. So this last poem is a rapid dispersal. We knew it was almost over. A few of us posed to lay up the flag at White Waltham, November 45. Many had already gone. We smiled into the distance, still young, but perhaps wondering if the most exciting part of our lives was behind us. We knew not. Some of us were more than ready to hang up our uniforms, take down our golden wings. We knew we'd done our bit, and more. For others, it was a wrench. We were simply expected to pick up our lives, our jobs, our kitchen sinks. But on that bitter, sweet winter's day, as Audrey Sail Barker lowered the flag, we knew we'd given our best years to the sky, and mostly seen it through. Yet some part of us would emerge from stray corners of chilly airfields, remembering those we'd lost along the way.